This is Life in Progress, a therapy podcast with your host, Navart Wilborn. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and we're going to be having some honest conversations about life struggles, both the day-to-day struggles and more serious hardships. Please remember that this podcast and all affiliated programs are not a substitute for therapy. So if you're struggling, please reach out to a therapist in your area and get the support you need. Thanks for joining me. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. So today I have my wonderful friend Stacy again. So if you've been watching these episodes, then you know that um, sometimes I need to call my backup, which is Stacy, because I've left this again to the last moment and I needed her help. So Stacy, we're not even going to introduce you. Everyone knows you now, but we're going to jump in. So Stacy and I actually both have clients in about 22 minutes. So we're going to make this kind of a shorty episode. Um, We are going to continue our series about communication, um, but we have a kind of a fun topic today. So um, Stacey, today we're going to talk about the correlation between um, how toddlers and young children communicate and also how adults sometimes communicate. So this is kind of a call out Um, of communication that does not go very well. And we're going to kind of just highlight some of the similarities and how we could learn from that, what we can do about it. So Stacey, tell me, what is a correlation? Well, just introduce to me, what what is something that toddlers do when they communicate? How do toddlers communicate and why? Well, and I would say toddlers up to like going to in that five and six, right? Because that's where they're going into school. And I guess my brain is thinking because my granddaughter's about that age. So there's a learning curve for me on that to be held accountable. So how do they, you asked me how they communicate. Let me Mm -hmm. make sure. Yes. You know, it's that ecocentrism. It's right in front of them, what they need. And from a language bank, some of us from school remember what that is, those little word banks that we used to get on tests, but they operate from a language bank of where their experiences come from, what they have had exposure to. So it can be pretty limited. Um, hopefully as we go into adulthood, that language bank grows, but the biggest thing is, is that where we see that there can be a challenge is if we don't grow in maturity to be able to identify emotional responses and grow that language bank, um, kind of in parallels to one another, I think there's a better word for that, but that's the one I'm coming up with, with right now. But, um, it limits us, right? We become stuck in that same language option and the same emotional charges as toddlerhood and early um, elementary age. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty limited and um, it has a lot of emotional charge behind it that gets distracted. Yeah. So, okay. Emotional charge. We're going to jump into that. So basically when you're, if you've ever had a child or you've known a child, then you've probably observed a tantrum, right? You've observed the child that didn't get what they wanted and maybe um, expressed that in a very loud and kind of disruptive way, whether they're just, you know, throwing their body on the ground or whatever. So basically what happens with kids, like Stacy, like you're saying, there's a word bank, so you called it language bank. So basically they don't have the proper ability yet. Their brain hasn't developed enough to be able to express how they're feeling. Feelings are super important. Feelings are important, whether you're an infant hungry, crying for food, or you're, you know, 90 years old, 
having an opinion about something or, or hurting about something. So feelings are always important. That does not stop. What's important though, to remember is that the way we communicate our feelings can make or break a situation. It can make or break a relationship. It can cause a lot of damage and it can also be really, really good depending on how you do it. So when we're talking about toddlers and children, we're talking about a limited ability to properly express and communicate feelings. And what we do as parents or as adults is we have to manage that behavior, get them to calm down and then try to understand the problem. Why are we throwing a fit? Why are you upset and screaming at me right now? And now let me teach you a better way. Next time say, mommy, I want another candy or daddy. I don't want to go to school, whatever. And then we work through that. But where we tie this into adulthood is what we see in relationships and in communication. So Stacy and I both work with individuals who are in relationships and we work with couples who are addressing relationship issues. And so Stacy, maybe kind of walk us through how you have observed adults sometimes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, having a, a kind of a, where they don't communicate their feelings well and where the the miscommunication of feelings can cause problems. So maybe just give us examples of how they do that first. Well, I think understanding the concept, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, is how many times has, as adults, have we had, and I'll include myself because, you know, in my ripe old age, I've learned to, to make some changes. And on a good day, I do it very well, but there's the human factor, but how often have we had temper tantrums that it's justified um, and our kids would not have a second of that kind of grace? You know, I wouldn't be screaming and I'm sorry that I screamed and yelled at you, but if you wouldn't be doing X, Y, Z and you fill in the blank, then it wouldn't have provoked me to this. Okay, well, that's deferring responsibility of my behavior because of someone else's behavior. And the bottom line is regardless of what environment I'm in, yes, we can be provoked, but on the goal of all of this is, is to self-regulate and to be able to communicate in a way that we can be heard and be productive and have an end result that um, allows us to be in a better place next time we come to this situation. But if we do this dance of, emotional combat in that emotionally charged state that becomes an an issue and a conflict. So when we have adults, we almost need to be, and as we teach young children, it's good to have a template in this event. I find that I often feel this emotion. It's going to vary what the end of that sentence looks like, but what we're focusing now on is not, the cause, we're going to talk about the event. And then we're going to talk about my personal emotion reaction. And then we have to fill in with what are we trying to do? Are we trying to negotiate a plan? Are we trying to get information? Are we coming at this with curiosity? Is what's then the end goal of that conversation in our communication? But typically we become this battle zone of emotion where I'm yelling at you, you're yelling at me. And what happens is rage tends to battle for who's going to have control and nothing is accomplished. Right. And, and you're right. So it's the, it's that power struggle, right? So when we're dealing with children, we're the authority and we are going to manage a behavior, but sometimes we don't do it well, right? If our kids acting out and we scream at them, 
Well, that's not really productive. Now we're just, you know, one upping their negative behavior by adding our own negative behavior. And that's just us trying to exert that rage or exert that control intentionally or unintentionally. And some people yell on purpose because they feel like that's the only way to get my kid to hear me is if I yell at them. And that's never healthy. Um, but some people don't do it intentionally. They just lose it and they start screaming. But then where this becomes um, dysfunctional in a relationship is the tendency for some adults to scream at their partner, their spouse, their wife, husband, whatever. And like you were saying, we justify it. If you hadn't done this, look, you made me mad. You wouldn't stop nagging me. You wouldn't stop talking to me about that. I told you I didn't want to talk about it. So I got mad and I yelled at you. It's your fault. You know, but you're always responsible for your behavior. You are always responsible for the way that you communicate. I don't care who says what to you and in what way you get to make a decision about how you want to speak. And if you lose control and you scream and you yell, or you cuss, or you say insulting name calling things, you are responsible. So here's that separation from the child. A child has to learn how to manage that has to learn self-control has to learn how to choose better words. And some adults still have to do that too. But the expectation is that you have a fully developed brain. You are an adult. You, there is a higher expectation of you, but a lot of people do not take ownership of their behavior. Think it's justifiable because of the cause when the cause does not matter. What made you mad does not matter. Your reaction is what matters. And so when we're talking about healthy communication in a relationship, the words do not get heard if the delivery of the words is erratic, is crazy, is screaming, is loud, is ugly, is filled with insults. None of that's going to make it across. And so what I want our listeners to hear and think about is how does this look in your relationship? Do you communicate in a way that essentially looks like a toddler's tantrum. And that's probably going to be insulting to some people, but I'm glad you feel insulted because that is what it is. It's accurate. You are throwing a tantrum. I have children I work with who talk to me about how their their parents yell at them and how small they feel and how awful they feel about themselves because of the way their parents behave. And I have to talk to these kids about like, Hey, you know, if your parents not willing to change, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to just help you learn how to survive this and how to withstand it and be resilient. And that's unfair. And then you apply that to adults screaming at each other. Sometimes I have to have the same conversation with a, a spouse that's being yelled at. Hey, if your husband or your wife is not willing to change, you have to make a decision. If you're going to stay in this situation, then you have to learn how to, how to either stand up for yourself or withstand this. But, um, I've taken over, Stacey. Tell no, you're, me what you're thinking. <laughs> Go no, I'm thinking a lot of what you're saying, and I've I've had those adolescents that I work with. I've had college aged kids that I work with that they can't have an adult conversation with their parents, and how critical that is because we're modeling the future right? We're modeling for and giving them a space to practice. And if that doesn't happen, well, then of course, we're going to have this in our relationships, because where was the space provided, modeled 
um, the practice field to allow us to explore some of that. I even talk with um, some of my clients about some of my journey about how I have to work for my voice in certain situations and what that's like. And some days I do great and other days I don't. I think as an adult, I have learned to become more quiet, um, almost on the, not in a negative side, but my knee jerk reaction now is to be more quiet. Now my children who are now young adults would be happy to enlighten you and the listeners on how I was not quiet when they were children. Sometimes I would get loud. Sometimes I would get frustrated. I didn't know how to manage some of that when they were younger. I had a fabulous pediatrician. Fortunately, my son was pretty young and he's the oldest. Um, and he talked to me when I was open and vulnerable to say, Hey, I need to do this different. And they're not listening to me. Um, he explained to me how he would get quiet so that they would have to lean in. I would have to lean in and they would start listening. Now, my six-year-old who is very wise, he's almost 30 now would say, we know you're still mad at us. (laughs) Yes. But can you hear what I'm saying now instead of getting distracted by all my noise? And that's really what we're embodying here is finding a different way that my loud noise makes me want to do this and the listener to do that. If I can find a way to draw you in and feel safe and hear and want to hear, then now that's half the battle. I think if we realize that and regardless of who we're communicating with, but especially the people we're most vulnerable with, if you can cultivate an audience that wants to hear what we have to say, that's going to be our tone. It's going to be our language choices. It's going to be our body language. All of those set a stage before we ever really have an agenda of what we're talking about. Right. Oh, I love that. That's such a great example too, because I think a lot of people forget to set the stage, you know, they, they're diving with the words and the word, you know, when people talk about it's, it's become such a kind of like a broken record term people in relationships are talking about, you know, we, we have, we have to work on our, our communication. We need better communication. And honestly, when I ask people, if they come in saying that's their goal, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? there aren't a whole lot of great answers to that because to them, it's just, we need to talk better. I'm like, great. So let's talk about all the things that go into speaking, into talking. It is that tone. It is that mood. It is the timing. It is the eye contact, the body language, all of it. But people think it's just the words and the words are important, but they're almost like the secondary, you know, part. We have to be able to, to present our, we have to, kind of present ourselves in a way that allows the other person to feel comfortable, to feel safe, to feel like they want to join, like you said, lean into it instead of already get their defenses up because of the way that I came into it. You know, if I come into a conversation with a a very defensive body language and facial expressions that communicate my anger or my frustration or my hurt or whatever, you're going to go ahead and have an expectation or an assumption about what I'm bringing to that conversation. And you're going to, you, it's going to shut down part of your ability to hear me. And that's just part of it. 
I think it ties in really closely with the last podcast that you said about having that relationship with that individual. It doesn't even have to be perfect, but are we making investments? And I think I was working with a couple of people this week and we kind of through the evolution of those um, talks came up with kind of an analogy of, you know, if you would, because some people, it's so much easier for them to look at what do I look at financially as worthwhile? Okay. So if I take a relationship, there's no higher valued relationship than I would think the partnership of which that intimate relationship is, right? So if I am going to be invested in that relationship, what is the dividend that I'm giving back? If I have relationship and we have this dance that is um, offering reciprocity in all aspects, doesn't mean that it's all easy work that needs to be done. What is what is demonstrated is we are equally investing. Now, does it mean that each of us are getting exactly the outcome that we want? No, but it's really all about the investment. As long as we continue to invest, what happens to that financial nest egg? It grows. Mm-hmm. Now, does it grow because we've picked the right resource? No. Does some things decline as we've seen in our economy now? Yes, but we've got overall steady growth if we're continuing to investing because now we've got resources that we're working with that is purposeful, it's on the forefront. And when someone feels like they're being invested in, they feel valued, they feel important, they feel prioritized. They are willing to be vulnerable a lot more readily than if they don't feel like people are paying attention or care or listening to what they say. Right, right, absolutely. And, you know, I think that it all comes down to personal responsibility, right? So anyone listening to this might be thinking of their significant other and how they get yelled at or they're thinking of how they yell at their significant other, or some people, you know, never yell, but they know other people who yell either way. It doesn't matter who, you know, who's doing it, whether it's you or someone else, you have to figure out what is your, in, in, what is your role in that dynamic? So if you're the yeller, I want you to think about why you're yelling, why you lose control and throw a tantrum and what you could do better to use your words essentially. Right. And I want to grow that before we run out of time, that it's not just the yelling, the name calling, the snarky, demeaning, the backward, um, passive aggressive comments, anything. That's what I meant to tie into the investment. It's building people up. If we don't have a positive revenue return, if it's a negative return, how does that benefit us to stay in that space? Right. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that a lot of people think that if they don't yell, but they're being sarcastic or they're being passive aggressive, that that's somehow less damaging, but it's all damaging just in a different way. And, and, and so if you are the, now, if you're the receiver of the yelling or recipient, it's probably better English, um, then you have to decide, you know, is there something you can do on your end? Like, are you coming in with an attitude. And if you are work on that, and if not, if the other person really is the one at fault, then you're going to have to figure out how to engage them in a calm conversation at the right time. And everyone is calm to say, Hey, this is something that happens in our relationship that I don't like. I don't like being yelled at. I don't like how quickly you lose control of your mood. I don't like being called names. I don't like it when you accuse me of this or that. I want us to work on that. And so if you feel like you can work on that alone, great. If you need to get in front of a therapist and have a mediator, great. But 
either way, that is a, a role that you play, whether you have a change to make or whether you have to encourage your partner to join you on the path of change. You, I mean, I think one of the hardest things for us, and this is probably for a different conversation, but Stacey, you and I both struggle with this, is working with clients who are in a situation or have a dynamic in their relationship that makes them unhappy, whether they're fully unhappy or just unhappy about a certain part, but they don't feel the confidence to say that they're unhappy or that they're struggling because they're worried about what the reaction will be, or they're worried that it's not going to change. So what's the point, or maybe it'll get worse. And that's hard because it's such a, it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's just like settling in for misery for the rest of your life. And, you know, again, it's probably for a bigger conversation, but even if you're not the one causing the issue with the yelling or the name calling, you're receiving it, you still have the ability to encourage the change and the growth and to be an advocate for yourself. And so the next time you yell, if you're a yeller, I really hope you think of yourself as a toddler throwing a tantrum because I want you to feel that, um, I don't know, it's definitely not shame. I want you to feel embarrassed a little bit, you know, regardless of who you're yelling at. If you're yelling at your child or you're yelling at your significant other or anyone, or you're yelling in the car by yourself at the guy that can't hear you because he cut you off. If you're yelling, you are essentially throwing an adult tantrum. I really want you to first recognize that feel a little bit bad about it and then decide, Hey, this is something I need to change. If you can look at your kid or any kid and be like, Oh my gosh, that kid deserves, you know, to be controlled or needs to be controlled or whatever that needs to apply to you. You don't get away with it just because you're an adult, whether you have children or not, you are not entitled to yelling, screaming, cussing, belittling, um, passive aggressive. You're not, there's nothing, there's no role that you play in this life that gives you the authority Mm-hmm. to be like that. Stacey, you've got a couple minutes. Yes. <laughs> and remember, there are often those times with even toddlers and young children that if you turn away from the conflict, it doesn't have to be a grand clash. You just don't give it um, time and space. I'm not going to participate in this. It sounds like we need to have this discussion at a different time when you're feeling a little calmer. Like you don't have to go toe to toe and you don't have to tell them what they're doing wrong. Just set a boundary. This is where it's structured. If you don't know anything about boundaries, listen for us to give you insight about boundaries. We have, I'm sure, lots of material that we've covered at some point or another about boundaries, but setting a boundary for you is not telling somebody else what to do, but you can set a boundary that you're not going to accept that kind of treatment. Yep. Yep. And you know, okay, so let me wrap up with this. Um, if your kid's yelling and screaming and throwing a fit and you start yelling at them, if that's ever worked for you, please call me. It will never work for you. It's not going to work. So if your significant other is screaming and yelling at you and you start screaming and yelling it back, you're just as much to blame. And it's, that's the awful way to communicate. You're part of the problem. They're the problem. It's just a problem. Like Stacey said, if you walk away from it, so if you're being yelled at, you don't have to participate in that. You turn and walk away. Same with your kid. Your kid is doing it because they're expecting a reaction from you that will ultimately either give them what they want or take the focus away from the initial issue or whatever. Same with adults. If you get, if you're, you know, 
If you walk away from the adult that's yelling at you, if you walk away from the child that's throwing a tantrum, then you start to diffuse the situation. And that is something that has to happen before any kind of healthy communication with a toddler. We come back later again, we explain why that wasn't okay. And we learn better ways to communicate. Adults have to do the same thing. You're not too good to learn to talk better just because you're an adult. You might be super successful in the way you communicate professionally, but really awful at it personally. You need to learn. Don't be too, you know, you're not too good to learn. You're not too good to change. So please humble yourself and be willing to, to settle down and not throw adult tantrums. Yes. Stacy, we have clients waiting for us. Thank you for being with me, Stacy, for talking with us about this. And thank you guys for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye.